morning. Ah, now I have the ultimate voice. Hello. Okay. So in two months, we are going to vote for our next president. And as I listen to the debates, one of the questions that I keep wrestling with, is there anything we can agree upon as a nation? <laughs> is there anything that can bring us together? You know, we're divided as a nation, our Congress, Washington. You know, it's in, even in the same political party, there's so much division going on. And I think in the 28 years that I have been voting as an American citizen, um, I don't think any other election feels quite as divided as this one. Red state, blue state, conservative, liberal, over issues of economy and immigration and economics. And we're not just divided politically as a nation, we're divided over moral issues. We're divided in our values, even in how we think about ourselves. So what's going to hold us together as a nation? Now, there's a social, um, sociologist of religion. His name was Robert Bella, who did research um, to find out what it is that brings the American people together. And he believed that the notion that pulled us together is the commitment to individualism. We value our individualism, meaning we have the sacred right to follow our own heart, our own path, and make our own way. And one of the major current objections to the church currently is this idea that the church challenges our sacred right for individualism. Churches seem to coerce us, to tell us what we need to believe or how we should be and how we should live. Now, ironically, in Bella's research, as he did research of, of this topic of individualism in America, he was able to cite where he believes it all started. And it started within religion. He documented in uh, 1630, all the way back to 1630, Roger Williams, who was a theologian, he was a Puritan, who um, had this idea of the sacredness of individualism. He was com completely committed to that, completely committed to the separation of uh, state and church and the proponent for religious freedom. So he is one of those guys that really felt that the sacred individualism of the uh, conscience was this place where we should be able to determine how we will worship. Now that concept came out of the church, started with the church, but then moved out of the church into the, sac uh, into the secular community. So now it's not just about the freedom of religion, but it's the freedom to determine our lifestyles, our values, and how we're going to live. And nobody or anything should force or uh, demand or expect me to be doing anything other than that. Now, we probably have heard this phrase, or we've maybe even used it, like for somebody who's saying, you know, I'm looking for some discernment for my life, and we tell them, follow your own heart. Follow your own heart. You know, this is my body. I can decide what I want to do with my body. This is my life. No one's going to tell me what to do with my life. I have the right to marry who I want to marry, and I have the right to pitch that marriage. You have no right to tell me that I should work on it. This is my head, and if I want to blow it up with a gun, there should be no government that should stop me from doing that. If I want to smash my brains on the pavement because I don't want to wear a helmet, you shouldn't be able to tell me 
that I have to wear a helmet. And you're definitely not going to tell me how to raise my kids. You're not going to force me to put a helmet on them or seatbelt or car seat. They're my kids, and I raise them the way I want. Well, there's a creed within the universal church where we all come together and we all believe and are of like mind. And this creed is called the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a creed that is embraced by the Roman Catholic Church, Greek Eastern Orthodox Church, Pentecostal, Evangelical, mainline Protestant churches, the Vineyard Church of San Antonio, circles and is unified by this creed. And I just thought, we don't normally do this. This is not a high church, but let's do that this morning, if you would. If you would stand, and I have um, on the PowerPoint the words to the Apostles' Creed, and I thought we could read it together. Daniel, can you put that up? Okay, let's say it out loud. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, those two lines that say the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, that is probably the creed's um, objection or answer to the objection of individualism. You guys can sit down. Now, although Roger Williams, that Puritan, was good at deciding what we were against or what separated people, and he was really articulate in saying what he disagreed with, he was really poor at saying what brings us together. So he, he separated from the separatists, interesting, um, and founded his first church. It was the first Baptist church of Rhode Island. And eventually he left that church, and he founded another one. He wanted to found one that was a little bit more pure. Eventually he left that second church to start his third church so that that could be a little bit more pure. And that church ended with three people, himself, his faithful wife, and one good friend. So what's going to be our response to individualism? So today I've called our message, Living in His Design Through the Church. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Thank you for letting us worship you this morning. And thank you that you are right now the instructor and our guide. And that you're going to bring relevance to these words, to each heart, for their situation, where they're living. Lord, that's not anything that I can do. That's something that you're doing. And so I just yield and surrender to your request for me to be a mouthpiece this morning. I pray that your power would come on us, Lord. That we would encounter you and be changed because of being with you. In your precious name, amen.
Okay, we're going to look at um, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 from Ephesians. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thanks. I ask, ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Now, one of the ways that the value of individualism is expressed in our society today is through this phrase, I'm not, I'm not uh, religious, or I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know, these days, being spiritual is popular, You know, every Hollywood actor and many of the female actresses, you know, state very boldly, I'm spiritual. And, you know, I'm into essential oils, so that makes me spiritual. I'm into massages and meditating, so I'm spiritual. You know, when I go get a massage, I don't know about you, but when I do that, I fall asleep. And usually within minutes, so 45 minutes, I'm just asleep. Eventually the person's waking me up, ma'am, ma'am, it's time to get up. And, you know, I can tell I've really had a heavy meditation time when I'm wiping the drool off my face. (laughs) You know, most uh, popular musicians compose spiritual music, not religious music. Enya's one of the top three New Age uh, musicians. And she makes sure to make it clear that she distanced herself from organized religion and, on, and claims to be a spiritual person. This is a quote from her. I consider myself to be a spiritual person, not necessarily a religious one. Although I have to say that one of the highlights of my career was when I performed at the Vatican for the Pope and had an audience with him. But my core beliefs would revolve around the idea that we should live to the best of our ability. We should live and let live. You know, being spiritual is fashionable. Being religious is unfashionable. I mean, honestly, there's a lot to object about religion. <laughs> I mean, if we were to look, I can understand why people might pull away from religion just by looking at history. 
It just, let's just take one people group, the Jews. And how has the church treated the Jews for the last 2,000 years, particularly in Europe? We're guilty of division, of hatred between Catholics and Protestants, of sexual abuse of children and teens by the clergy. I mean, there's a lot to object to. But you know what the response is to the comment that religion is the cause of all the problems in the world. You know what that response is? Religious institutions are made of human beings. And human beings sin. But so do Christians, so do atheists. They also sin. Now, if we look at the history of atheistic governments and movements, it would not take long for us to see that their movements were not all that virtuous or glorious. Now, just look at the atheistic governments of the 20th century. Human rights record in the Soviet Union, communism in China, in Cuba, human rights for Cambodians, Vietnam, in India. Religious people sin and non-religious people sin. I think people use the term, I'm spiritual and not religious, because they want to make sure that you do not interfere with their personal life. I want to live my life the way I want it. Let me give an example. Um, you know, I believe that I should worship the way I worship and like what I do and all that kind of stuff. And we say, yes, absolutely. Worship is between you and God, but not only between you and God. The spiritual life is like everything else in our lives. We need people involved in our lives for us to grow up. We need people to challenge us, to correct us, to guide us, because we can easily be deceived we can easily be confused. We could easily overlook the truth of God. And like everything else in life, we need people speaking into our lives. You know, the only way to grow as an individual is to open ourselves to learning. And I believe that the body of Christ is what the primary way that God uses us to grow up. This is really important. You know, I didn't really like worship this morning. You know, the drums were a little off. Or the words didn't get projected on the right time. Is the PowerPoint guy paying attention? You know what my response to that is? Well, we weren't worshiping you. I mean, we're not really here to satisfy you I think if you were to ask Joy, she is here for, to develop an atmosphere where we would worship Jesus. You know, if you grade worship and give it a B because the drummer was cute, I understand. He was cute. That's my husband, for those who are guests. To grow spiritually, we need to be humble and open to correction and challenge. And unless we're part of a real spiritual community, we have cut off one of the main sources that God used to bring growth in our lives. So Paul's going to talk about how to balance American individualism in, the, in this message of the church in the book of Ephesians. What is the church? What is her function? And Paul's going to tell us. So we're going to start now into the, the actual passage. And first you're going to notice 
that several times he uses the word uh, Daniel. Daniel, can you get on borrow? There we go. Some nice pictures. Keep going. There we go. Thank you. So many times Paul uses the word Father in chapter 1. Verse 2, grace and peace from our Father. Verse 3, peace, praise be to God and Father. Verse 16, glorious Father. Father, Father, Father. And if you look at the pronouns and follow the pronouns, he is talking about the Father, the Father. Well, if someone's called a father, that usually means they have at least one child. And in this particular case, this father has a lot of children because he's really into adoption. Every single one of us who follow after Jesus are his adopted children, his sons and daughters. You know, when I was adopted by my dad, if you were to look at my birth certificate, it was drafted and sealed by the state of California with my adopted father's name in there. Nothing scratched out or blotted out. It is in there in bold letters. Joseph Patrick Kenny is my father. And when we're God's children and his daughters and children and adopted, we can expect present and future benefits. And the evidence of our adoption as God's children is the Holy Spirit. He's our seal. Verse 13 to 14 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, we're not just a religious institution. We're not just a tax-exempt, nonprofit organization under the section of 501c3. And we're definitely not just a place where we walk into, a place where we go. We're a family, the family of God. And as part of the family, the Vineyard Church of San Antonio is part of another family. Every congregation throughout the city, throughout the state, throughout the nation, throughout the globe, Nepal, India, China, Australia, Canada, Costa Rica, The church of God, universal, extends throughout the globe. And not only that, but it extends throughout the ages, the time frames of many thousand years this way and many to come. We're part of that great community. It's amazing. Verse 13, having believed, you are marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And these are some of the things that we have in agreement. We share the same spirit. Daniel, can you get those up, please? Thank you. We share the same. We share in submitting to Jesus Christ and becoming like him. We share by having the same father as brothers and sisters. We, we are embraced by him. We share as family, the family of God. And we share in purpose. Now, this is not just good theology. This is not just the narrative of the Vineyard Church. This is really the practical way of living deeply in God. And it is the practice of a family. It's what we surround ourselves around, how we gather together. So when God created the world in Genesis 1, he said seven times the same phrase over and over and over. It is good, it is good, it is good. And one time he said, it is not good. Y'all can tell me what that is. 
it is not good that for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. You know, marriage is one of the biblical models that we have for removing aloneness. But what if you're not married? Well, you're screwed. Right? You know, this church cannot provide enough men for the single women in this church. So, sorry. I can't offer you all a happy marriage, even those who are married that aren't happy. <laughs> right? We need brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts. We need family to remove our aloneness, to celebrate our graduation, to help us move, to take care of our kids, a shoulder to cry on, or someone to just listen. None of us do well being alone. So if you're married, include some single people in your next family gathering. If you're single, include a family with kids so what? Your apartment gets dirty. You can clean it up. If you're single, think about that. Older people, reach out to the younger kids. Cindy, where are you, Cindy? Raise your hand. No, the other Cindy. This Cindy. Cindy Young, raise your hand. She needs older people volunteering with the children. Get involved. Adopt a family. Reach out. And you know, Martha already said this, but I'm going to say it again. If you haven't committed to a community group this fall, you do that. That's a great way to start having community and experiencing family. Okay, so now, besides being a family, we have a purpose as a family. Verses 22 to 23. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. You know, the world can say that the church is irrelevant, that we don't need the church anymore. You know, new atheism is a new kind of concept. It's a, it's a, um, a term that they use for the new atheists in the 21st century. And pretty much what the new atheists believe is that um, any involvement of church and religion in education, in government, in politics should be banned. And they go so far as to say, you know, we'll tolerate religions, but we will come against, criticize, and radically expose any religion if they go into our space. They even ridicule parents who indoctrinate. Since when did discipling become the word indoctrinate? Parents who indoctrinate their children with religion and in the spiritual world. You know, I believe, they believe also that we should live with a code of no harm. Causing no harm. You ever heard of that phrase? It's very popular right now causing no harm, and that we should look into our inner being, our deep soul, for what is good. Well, I think we need more than looking inside. 
for what is good because what if you're bankrupt? What if you don't even know why you're alive? What are you going to find? And who says that living by the code of no harm is the way to live? I don't know if they would appreciate this, but I would tell them, you're a new religion. They would probably vomit on me, I guess. I don't know. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians why we are alive and where that power comes to live the life that he's going to unpack in the rest of this letter. It comes from the Holy Spirit. His presence in us, through us, is how we're going to be able to live the life that he designed for us from the beginning. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians why we're alive and where the power source is going to come from. The church is not a peripheral idea. The main idea is the main idea from God. You know, after I get playing soccer, if I feel up to it, maybe I'll go to community group. Boy, I really was up late last night and I'm tired. I think I'll skip church and sleep in. If after paying all my bills I have extra, maybe I will give some money to the church. That is secular, worldly thinking. That is not the thinking of followers of Christ committed to Christ and his cause. The church is central to the plan of God for healing and rescuing his world that is hurting The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And sometimes we get God's priorities mixed up. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks in Acts. You know, this sounds a little weird, but you know, Jesus, if you would go and talk to my coworker, they probably would listen. You know, if if Jesus, if you would just like heal them, I think that would work. That would help. And Jesus says, I am the head, but you are the body. You are the feet that's going to walk over there to work to their cubicle and talk to them. You are the hands that's going to go to their house and make the meal and clean up after their vomit. You are the ones. And guess what? You're not alone. I'm going to go with you. Verse 23, the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. The spirit is with us. The presence to empower us is in us. And we each have our unique way of how to live out the design that God has given us. We each have a unique calling. Look at this, verses 11 through 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. No one is exempt from the word everything and everyone. But I don't know how to do that, Jesus. I'm a new Christian. My dad won't listen to me. I'm just a mechanic. I'm new at school. I'm the freshman. Low on the rung at work. Verses 17 to 18. But I do more than thank, I ask. 
Ask the Lord of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. This is a prayer of enlightenment. And Paul is praying. You are part of this great community of God empowered by my Holy Spirit to do amazing things. And pray that your eyes, that the eyes of this church would be able to experience God's love personally. Pray that he would show you how to bring Christ at work, at school, and when you're playing around. How are we to live and love our church and our world? Sounds interesting? Don't miss the series. Our teachers who have been studying Ephesians all summer are going to be presenting what Paul is talking here in these first, this first chapter. And Paul is going to t- tell us how do we do this in relationship. And he will address a relationship that you are involved in, many of them multiple whether marriage or children, a parent, a boss, an employee, a member of this church. Ephesians got a lot of practical things to say, and we're going to learn about those as the series goes on. Pray that your eyes would be open and that your heart would be made available to the presence and leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, God has chosen us as his children And he's made us blameless through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's empowered us by his spirit so that we can live the life. The gospel is not just about getting into heaven. There's a lot more to it than that. The heart of the gospel is who we are in Christ and what our life is to be all about. The gospel is bigger and more marvelous And we are being reformed into the design that he had for us at the beginning. Redeemed and redeeming his world. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for giving these words of inspiration to Paul and for protecting the words all these centuries. And we just thank you how relevant your word is. It really is a lamp to our feet. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would this morning stamp and seal our hearts as your children We are adopted and we can expect inheritance, benefits now and forever. And I pray, Lord, that you would just put a hunger and a curiosity in our church for the truth in Ephesians and that we would be changed by your word. We just bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, if you would like some prayer this morning, we always have folks that love to pray. You know, if something's going on in your life where you feel like I, I could use some prayer, something's coming up and you're feeling there's something going on there that I'm concerned about. And if there's physical healing, you want some healing, then come and pray. These folks are people full of faith and they will be gentle with you. And uh, bless you.